Welcome to FIA Speaks, a podcast at the centre of the futures, options and listed derivatives markets and the interesting people who work in them, run exchanges and regulate this industry. FIA's mission is to support open, transparent and competitive markets, protect and enhance the integrity of the financial system and promote high standards of professional conduct. Please note we have a lengthy disclaimer that I encourage you to listen to or read at FIA.org. But in short, this podcast is meant to be informative about this industry and should not be relied on for investment advice. And now, here's your host, FIA President and CEO, Walt Lucan. Well, welcome to FIA Speaks, a global markets podcast. It's my honor to have FIA pioneer Marianne Burns as our guest today. Welcome, Marianne, to FIA Speaks. Thank you, Walt. I'm honored you're here. Uh, I want to let the audience know that we're recording this podcast live at Old Ox Brewery, uh, which you may know is in Northern Virginia, the site of Marianne's post-FIA career. Um, And just to give you a a bit of background about Marianne, she spent 23 years at FIA, helping to build it into a small, from a small operation to a global institution, rising to executive vice president and COO. Uh, Marianne, you went from journalism school at Purdue into the futures industry in Chicago and now, or FIA headquarters in DC, and now running uh, Old Ox Brewery here in Ashburn, Virginia. Um, Let's start with the beginning of your career. I mean, many of our guests know you, but may not know how you got into the futures industry to begin with. So take us back to how you got into the futures industry to start your career. Well, after my husband and I graduated from Purdue, we moved to Chicago, and the first job I took was a copywriter at Carson Peary Scott Home Furnishings Division, and on my lunch hour, I used to go over to the Board of Trade and watch the action, and I thought this was a lot more fun than writing copy for the Home Furnishings Division, so I, uh, uh, Graham had a a good friend that was actually a research analyst for Heinold Commodities, and he got me a job on the floor at the CME. So that's where it all started. I worked for Heinold for several years, both running orders and, uh, and then working in their research department. So many people got their starts as runners on the, the Board of Trade or the CME and then went on to do other things. Did you ever consider being a trader or did was that of, of interest to you and how did you end up getting into more on the marketing side of things? I think the first cattle trade I made cured me of uh, <laughs> wanting to be a trader on the floor. Um, I, and I had a journalism degree so it was a it was a unique combination at the time. There weren't many people that could write that could also understood the market. So I went in that direction and it's paid off. And how did you get at the FIA? Um, so the Futures Industry Association you know, represents that industry, but when did you cross paths with the FIA and how did you ultimately end up working at the FIA? Well, the first time I crossed paths is FIA had a Chicago training division which uh, I attended the meetings for Heinold Commodities, but that wasn't a, a big part of my decision to come with FIA. Instead, I had, by the time um, the early 80s came around, I had started my own advertising agency. And um, one, of, one of the, most of my customers were futures related. So when they moved, uh, Expo first started, FIA Expo first started on the trading floor, upper trading floor of the Chicago Merck. And a lot of my customers were exhibitors. So. 
Um, I got to know FIA a little bit that way. And when they moved the, when CME decided they might want to use the trading floor for something other than an exposition center, they moved Expo to the Holiday Inn Mart Plaza. And FIA was terrified that nobody would make the walk down the street uh, to come to the show. So they hired me as a consultant to help put that FIA together. And that's uh, Dave Gannis from Northern Trust at the time was the chairman of Expo. So it was the first time there was an Expo steering committee and uh, that's where um, I really got introduced to FIA. And then along the way, as different projects came up, FIA would say, well, maybe Marianne can do it. So they lost the editor of their magazine and they said, well, maybe Marianne can do it. <laughs> and they did, I did some things for the IFM and Pretty soon I was doing a lot of work for the FIA, so when they lost their communications person, they asked me to interview for the job. And you had to move to Washington, D.C. That must have been quite a change, too. It was, and I always thought I'd spend a couple of years doing that, and I'd go back to Chicago because the family loves Chicago. We still love Chicago. And you're, I know you grew up a Cubs fan, but, uh, but now you've become a Nats fan, right? Still a Cubs fan, but uh, it's been fun being part of the Nats move to Washington and watching them progress over the years. And, of course, this year, the best of all. The best of all. And now not, the, Cub, the Cubs yeah. and the Nats have a World That's Series right. ring. That's wonderful. Well, uh, your time at, in, at FIA, um, I was amazed in, in our time together to see how you your creative mind would just reinvent things. You have a, a, a knack of, of, of creating the next... What is the next big thing? What is identifying what the next big trend might be and getting FIA positioned to be a part of it? So you spent uh, 23 years at FIA. What do you remember and are you most proud of in that period of time of reinventing yourself, reinventing things as you went through uh, your career at FIA? It's, it's hard to pick because I just had a lot of good opportunities at FIA. It was, it was unbelievable the kinds of things that the FIA could accomplish when they worked together with the members. I think the, the most exciting thing I did, having no technology background, was starting FIA Tech. And that was because the industry have, had a, a messy process around give-up agreements, and they desperately needed a way to, to make that go more smoothly. So we ended up contracting with an outside tech vendor uh, in October, and we said we could get it done by February. We did, which surprised everybody, and launched the uh, EGUS in February. And then that started the whole parade of, well, if you could fix that, maybe you could fix payment. Uh, so it, it was just an incredible experience and in being able to work with the industry to solve a real problem that would help people save money, it helped them save time. It was just really a great opportunity. And that, that platform, I think people recognize the usefulness of that utility for the industry and what else can be put on that platform. So you were the, the founder of that and helped to build it. And I think it is FIA Tech is well positioned now for the next phase of whatever it might solve for the industry. So everybody appreciates your hard work on that. No, thank you. Um, during your period of time, you know, everybody is given opportunities in their career. Um, and you look back and, you know, people have given you a chance to, to exceed, to succeed. And I'm just curious, as you look back on your career, is there an individual or a couple individuals that were your mentors, that somebody that gave you a chance 
that helped you to develop your career? There were a lot of people along the way. I mean, just even when I started on the floor, I was the only female runner for Heinold at the time. And the fact that the uh, floor, the head of the floor operations would let me be a runner and um, gave me opportunities to do things that other runners didn't get, that, that was a great start. But um, in my FIA years, I have to give a lot of credit to John Damgard. He was an incredible leader of the futures industry and recognized um, what kinds of things that we could actually accomplish. And if I came to him with an idea and it was good for the membership, he was like, run with it. So I, I, I have to give him credit. And then there were some keyboard members like Richard Burleyan and Mike Dolly that were incredibly helpful whenever there was a bunch of different ways to go. We could, different ways to pick. They helped us sort through those and were advisors to the, to the FIA and to me in particular. So it's just been some amazing people that I've had the opportunity to work with. And you mentioned that uh, you were given an opportunity and uniquely being a female in our industry um, of a largely male dominated industry. So talk a little bit about that. Was it difficult to, um, to succeed in our industry um, because you're a female executive versus male executives? Um, and to note, FI has tried to raise the dialogue on this and announced at BOCA that we're trying to promote not just gender diversity, but racial diversity, uh, more inclusive of talent and belonging for people in our industry. So talk a little bit about that issue for us. Was, was it difficult when you were first starting? I, I felt it was an advantage. I, I stood out a little bit and was able to use that to my advantage. And, and I never felt like people um, kept me from doing things that I wanted to do. So I haven't had that experience. I haven't had any harassment experiences. I haven't had any... Um, feeling that I couldn't move higher in an organization. So I'm a little, I'm very lucky, I guess. And um, I felt like people helped me. We were always working towards something and they helped me get it done. And I, I know uh, there are, are female executives at FI currently and they look to you as a role model and they talk That's to right. me about that. And um, <laughs> so nice. you have been um, really a guiding force for, for their careers. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really important that we get more female executives into the spotlight so that there are role models for people trying to get into our industry. Well, let's turn a little bit to your current business. You know, FI uh, was a family-run business when you first started, and you helped to grow that. And now you're in another family-run business, Old Oxbury in Virginia, that you uh, helped start with your husband and son. Um, you know, how has it been the transition from Derivatives Regulatory Trade Association to Craft Brewery in Virginia? It's been interesting. The, uh, my biggest complaint is that I call people up and I say, this is Marianne Burns, and they say, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that problem in the futures industry where everybody knew me. So it's, it's been interesting to have a product and not just, uh, something that's tangible and you have to get out the door every week. and. Uh, so it's been a complete learning experience for me. Um, and working with the family, we, we like to say we've been in business for six years and we're still talking, and that's one of our <laughs> greatest accomplishments. <laughs> and uh, it is, and I think uh, um, 
I know you have a son. Yes. So imagine for a minute working for him. Wow. Chris is our CEO. That puts it in perspective for me. Yes. Yeah, this is the kid that couldn't turn in his homework, but does a fantastic job running the brewery. So all those parents out there who are worried about their kids succeeding, uh, take heart. Well, let's go through a few demographics on the brewery. So how was the name derived? Old Ox is actually the name of a road in Virginia, and it's a it's very historic road that helped connect the farmers with the uh, ports of call in the area. So we like that feeling of connection and community. And the first time we tried to buy some property to open the brewery, it was on Old Ox Road. Um, it was a condo, and the association voted us out because they didn't want a brewery, all those terrible brewery smells. And um, so we ended up in our current position, but like, still like the name. And so it not only brews beer, but it's also a tasting room. So, right. yeah. so how many beers are you serving here at the tasting room and also distributing in Virginia and Washington and Maryland? I think we brewed 38 different styles of beer last year. Um, and we brew most of it for distribution, uh, but we have some very uh, specific beers just in the tasting room. And what's your best seller? We have a golden ale and a hoppy IPA that's our two best sellers. We do brew them year round, but we're also very proud of our rye porter, which is wins the award every year for the best porter in Virginia. And we brewed that first for my middle son's wedding. So we like to say that's a real family effort. Well, for those uh, listening, um, it smells like a bakery in here. It's it's wonderful location out here in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, wonderful beers, and um, you know, I mean, we've the FI staff have come out here several times to enjoy your beers. Um, another big thing is uh, it's being recognized awards um, and also being served at Nats Park as well as the Cherry Blossom. So, talk a little bit about those things. Well, my background at FIA helped me talk to the National Cherry Blossom Organization, which is an association whose mission is to run the Cherry Blossom Festival. So I felt immediately comfortable talking to them about, gee, you might need a beer. Um, And they did win uh, an award for the program um, that the beer represented. So they were pretty excited about that. And um, every year it's growing, the demand's growing. It's served at the Tidal Basin. It's served at restaurants throughout DC and Virginia. And uh, it's just been a great experience and working with the National Cherry Blossom Festival has been fun. So the craft brewery uh, industry is pretty competitive. Uh, I go to Whole Foods and and look at all the different craft beers. Um, You know, I went to law school in Portland Oregon, and there's something like a hundred breweries just in the metropolitan area of Portland now, one of the first cities to really take on the craft beer industry. Um, so how do you stay relevant? How do you differentiate yourself from other beers? It must be difficult. It's, it's getting more challenging all the time. There's 7,500 breweries in the United States now. When we started here in Loudoun County, we were number four, and now there are 38. So it's, and a lot of them, you know, they're all different models. In Loudoun County, we are one of three that even distribute at the level that everybody else does. But distribution comes with its own challenges too. So um, it's really hard, but the, the 
the best thing that you can do is stay connected to your customers and create an experience that they appreciate, that they will go out and talk about you and be part of um, the community that's Old Ox. And we've done, one of the most satisfying parts of the job is the different activities that we do in the brewery. We spent a lot of money on our tasting room, which is right up front, and we expected people to spend here, but we have a big production facility with a giant space in the middle where we um, have programs, and the Loudoun County Public Library does programs routinely, free programs here at the brewery. We track between 100 and 200 people to come and listen to a speaker uh, on science or, or uh, technology. And um, they say it's done more to raise their cool factor than any other program that they run. And they also won an award for having science on tap in our brewery. Well, I know, um, and you mentioned that staying close to your customer, knowing what your customer wants, that sounds a lot like FIA and what you did at FIA as well. Completely. There's nothing different about it. It's just seeking out people that's that's the most exciting part of my job is working with people and getting to know i know every beer buyer in every giant harris teeter and whole foods and wegmans in northern virginia and it's just a lot of fun well one of the things that you helped develop at fia uh, is our charitable work as well and with fia cares and our the, the features for kids that we run out of london um, I know you do work for charity in the fire department here. Uh, talk a little bit about that issue. Well, we ended up, we have a chili cook-off every January. It turns out it's the Ashburn Volunteer Fire and Rescue Department's biggest fundraiser of the year. And it's just a whole lot of fun. We get um, t 12 of our restaurant customers to donate chili. They donate 10 gallons of chili. And not only that, they bring, they ch the chef comes over and spends the day with us talking to our customers and hanging out. Uh, at the brewery, so um, that's been a lot of fun, and they raise, the, it, we can't even, <laughs> we, we put a tin outside, it's January, we put a tin outside to have o overflow people, so people really enjoy it, and we've had some interesting judges to judge, celebrity judges, we've had TV personalities, Redskins, and uh, the fire chief, of course, um, so that's been fun, and we've, we've done uh, fundraisers for the National Cherry Blossom Festival. We've done fundraisers for uh, different uh, local groups. We, we try to stay very local. So uh, coming back to our industry, uh, the futures industry, the, your daughter uh, actually is one that you convinced to stay in the futures industry, <laughs> uh, works for Wells Fargo out of Charlotte. Um, so I, I know your husband and your son work here at the brewery, but here's somebody that actually uh, has decided to enter into our business. What advice when she was first starting out did you provide her um, in entering our industry and, and uh, deciding to, to come into the futures industry? Well, she started at, in, when she graduated from DePaul in Chicago. She started at New Edge at the time and uh, worked for some really fun, exciting people and really liked what she did. So uh, she just stayed. She, um, she worked for them for a while. She worked for Price Waterhouse in Boston. And then uh, Wells Fargo was starting up their FCM and gave her the opportunity to be part of that startup. And she was just really excited about that. But along the way, it was, oh, should I really go with a startup? 
um, should I? And, and she picked up the industry. I think it's always sad today that the people starting out in the industry don't have that floor experience because it's, right. it's so physical, it's so emotional, you can actually hear the market moving. And it, it's a shame that that's not still there for that purpose in particular. But um, I think she, she just has got a promotion at Wells Fargo. I'm not sure she needs much more advice from me, but um, I except I would tell her to get involved in the industry and um, get to know other people and support. She needs to be on some FIA committees, I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on that after okay. the podcast. So, And now we are privileged to have Chris Burns and Marianne Burns walk us through a few of their beers on our podcast. And so let me turn it over to, what's your official title, Chris? President. President. Yeah. All right. I work for him. Yeah, and Marianne works for her son. So, uh, but we have four beers here that we're tasting today. You want to walk us through the different variations we have here? Yeah, we put together a flight of four beers that uh, walks you through a couple of our core offerings that are available year-round, and a couple of limited release beers that you'll uh, only get to try, uh, you know, once during the year and may or may not come back. So we wanted to give you uh, the full spectrum of what we have available. So we're going to start off with Golden Ox, which is our uh, core golden ale. Um, it is one of our best sellers in the market and is available in can and draft throughout Northern Virginia and Washington, D.C. It's nice and light and crisp, uh, very easy drinking, very approachable, uh, with just a little bit of sweetness on the back end. It's got a little banana. A little banana. Taste in there. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. A little, little fruit. It's good. And then we have Black Ox, which is uh, our most award-winning beer, also available year-round. Uh, it is a rye porter. It's about 6% ABV. Got some nice chocolate and coffee notes to it. Easy, uh, easy to drink in this nice, cool weather. This is its time of year. And we have some listeners from... Uh, the UK and in Europe, but this is served, the stout served cold. Is that pretty typical? Here in the US, yeah, we're, uh, we, we serve our beers a little bit cooler than, uh, than you do in the UK. Uh, certainly not cellar temperature. This, uh, this comes in right around uh, 45 degrees. Uh, certainly opens up as it warms up, but uh, most of our customers appreciate a cooler beverage. Yeah, that's delicious. Thank you. Uh, the third one in our lineup is uh, called Smart Ass Automobile. This is one of our limited release beers, and we've been on a bit of a kind of a TV car theme uh, recently. So Smart Ass Automobile is a um, uh, tip of the cap to Knight Rider and uh, Knight Rider's car kit. So All right. It's an IPA. I can smell the hops. Mm-hmm. So... It's, uh, it's not as hoppy as it smells. Well, it's one of those New England-style IPAs in that um, it's, it's got a slightly hazy appearance, and it's got a really nice hoppy aroma, but you're not going to get a lot of bitterness uh, that you would normally associate with uh, some of the uh, old-school IPAs, West Coast IPAs, things like that. Uh, the uh, fourth beer we have in our lineup here, as we're uh, coming into the holiday season, we have our Kegnog. So it's an eggnog-inspired ale, uh, which I'm sure some of your listeners just shuddered a little bit because they want to keep their beer separate from their uh, eggnog. But uh, it's truly delightful. It's got uh, an amazing nutmeg and vanilla bean punch to it, uh, but it still tastes like beer. That's so. pretty damn good. <laughs> Thank, That's you. good. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. 
it's got a little sweetness, but not enough to drive you away from it. You know, it's that's right. So we use uh, a little bit of milk sugar in there, uh, which uh, the yeast can't digest, so it leaves just a little bit of that residual sweetness uh, and gives it a little bit of a creamy mouthfeel like an eggnog would have. And then we'll add uh, nutmeg and cinnamon and vanilla bean uh, post-fermentation to really give it kind of a, an eggnog theme. Yeah, that's delicious. Well, Marianne, uh, to conclude, you know, it's it's oh, you've always been somebody that follows your passion and that has that has led to your success and being positive about things uh, in conclusion like what is your passion today i mean what is it that drives you that wakes you up in the morning that that gets you out of bed and tr- helps to drive your your agenda each day it's really the people it was it was at the FIA the membership was always phenomenal it was just uh, people you wanted to work with, people you wanted to talk to and be with. And it's the same here. The The brewing industry is not unlike the futures industry when I was, for most of my career actually, where people helped each other out if they got in trouble. Um, they um, have a lot of fun just working together. And it, I see that all the time here. If we have a problem, what do we do? We call another brewer and he'll come over and help. So it's really all about the people. The customers here are amazing. It's a wide, diverse group of people. It's firemen, it's tech, tech gurus, it's redskins. It's, it's all kinds of different people that you would never meet. Trade association heads. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the best. And um, I just, it's just worth getting up to see who you're going to talk to today. Yeah. Well, listen, you have been a tremendous asset to the futures industry over the years. And we're so appreciative of you being a part of FI Speaks today. Uh, Marianne is a Hall of Fame member of our industry and has given so much back to our industry. And it's just wonderful to sit down with you today and be able to, to chat with you about your current position. So thank you so much for being a part of this. And thanks for coming out. And thanks to our audience for listening. And as always, we welcome your feedback, issues, and ideas at FIAspeaks at FIA.org. Signing off. FIA Speaks is brought to you by the staff of the FIA. Steve Adamski is our executive producer. Cameron Lane is our technical producer, with additional technical support from Craig Richardson. We welcome your feedback on these podcasts at FIAspeaks at FIA.org. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal or professional advice to any individual or entity. Unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast's content. Reliance on the podcast content is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of reference to, reliance on or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2019 FIA. All rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.